Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. George Washington Adair and his uh, sweetheart, Miriam, courted in Pioneer Trail fashion and were married on May 6, 1846. That would be during the journey. And from there, they came on to the Salt Lake Valley. In about 1849 and 50, the two of them were living in the area of Sugar House, which is in the Salt Lake Valley. Quote, the snow was very deep, but the fires had to be kept burning, so... George had gone off to replenish the woodpile. While he was away, one of the Adair children became very ill. Miriam did all she could for the child, but the child continued to get worse. So Miriam did as she she always did when a crisis came. She got down on her knees and asked Heavenly Father to send her aid. After doing all that her knowledge prompted her to do, She then heard a knock at the door, and on opening it, there stood a man who asked her if she would like him to administer to her child. Never doubting that the answer to her prayer had come, she got the oil which she always had on hand, and the man administered to her babe. Her attention was turned to the child for the moment, so when she turned to thank the man for coming, He had left without saying anything. She hurried to the door to see if she could call to him to give her thanks, but there was no one in sight, nor were there any footprints or steps in the snow. Her child was healed and was perfectly well when her husband returned. End quote. Ever after that, Miriam believed that her timely and powerful visitor was one of the three Nephites, and likely it may have been. Indeed, my dear friends, there are angels among us, both mortal and immortal. Peggy, thank you for sharing that story. Next story. I guess, in a way, this story illustrates how the policies and procedures of the church can and will change as circumstances require. Notice I said policies and procedures change, but doctrines, the Lord's doctrines, which are few, they don't change. But this story, no matter how you look at it for me, is just a really neat, heartwarming story. It's called The Calico Maid. In April 1857, William Jasper Harris and Martha Ann Smith wanted to be married. But then, as so often happened, there came a call for William to serve as a missionary in England. So, all present plans were put on hold, and they began to plan for that day, quote, when he comes back. Then, just three days before his scheduled departure, William went to the endowment house in Salt Lake, where he would be endowed and set apart for his mission. According to the family history, Quote, 
While receiving his instructions at the endowment house, William was asked by Brigham Young if he had a sweetheart. He said he had and was told, go and get her right now and be married. <laughs> I love it. Obedient to the prophet, William immediately returned home and told Martha Ann what the prophet had said. William then said to Martha Ann, get your sunbonnet, Martha, and come on. <laughs> Martha turned to William's mother and asked, what shall I do? What shall I do? <laughs> the mother-in-law said, law me, honey, put on the calico dress and go on. She did. And they were soon married. April 21st, 1857. William was 21 and Martha Ann, the calico maid, was 15. Their only honeymoon was the carriage ride home. Two days later, William set out for his mission, pulling a handcart across the plains, going east, and then crossing the ocean aboard the ship Dreadnought. While William and his companions preached the gospel of peace in England, it was learned that here in Utah, an army from the United States government was coming to make war upon the saints. Martha Ann wrote in a letter, quote, My husband was absent on his mission one year and four months. In his absence, the saints were called upon to leave their homes and move south. I moved with the Smoot family to Pond Town, where we spent the summer or until the latter part of July. The elders were called home on account of this trouble. As we were traveling along the road, I was driving the team of horses just around the point of the mountain when we saw a man riding on a white mule. To my great surprise, it was my husband. We had not heard from him for six months, so we were not expecting him. In that typical pioneer understatement, she said, quote, it was an agreeable surprise. We reached home safe and found the old house just as we left it. She went on to say, we moved to Provo in the spring of 1868 and we're still residing here in the same place, end of quote. William and Martha Ann would spend 52 years together and raise 11 children. Martha Ann Harris was the younger sister of President Joseph F. Smith. There's more that I will tell you about them in a later time. Next story before the break, it's close to the heart. I haven't shared this story probably in 20 years, but I think it's timely tonight. You know, the most often commanded commandment of all the commandments in Scripture is ask and you shall receive. The Lord means that. Now, I suppose if you're like me, we figured out how to do the asking part. But I wonder how many of us have figured out the listening part, how to receive and recognize the answers. I know that's been a struggle for me, and it still is. Now, Heavenly Father can answer us any way he wants, any way he chooses. But I hope this little story will illustrate how I believe he most frequently does 
answer us. And I'm indebted to my oldest son, Jed. Some years ago, quite a few years ago, my wife was helping a friend with a project up at the church building. Well, in the process, they found out that they had need of a hot glue gun, which my wife, being very crafty, had one at home. She didn't have her car, so Debbie borrowed Mindy's car and took off for home. As she pulled up in front of the house, she left the car running, thinking that since she knew exactly where the glue gun was, she would only be a moment. So with the car running, she shut the door, ran in the house, grabbed the glue gun, not realizing that as she shut the car door with the car running, <laughs> the door's automatically locked. Now, when she came back out, of course, she couldn't get in. She looked at the coded keypad on the door and thought, there's no way she'd be able to guess the right numbers. So she didn't, she didn't even try. She went back in the house and tried to call Mindy by phone. Now, this is long before everyone packed around a cell phone, but no one answered. So in desperation, she turned to Jed, our young teenage son, and asked him to get on his bike and ride all the way up to the church and get the door's number code so she could get in. Well, Jed, he's a smart boy. He stepped outside. It was 2.30 in the afternoon of a, hot, of a summer day, and it was hot. There was no way Jed wanted to pedal two miles just for some numbers. Well, I love this boy. He's as brilliant now as he was then. Interestingly enough, Jed offered a prayer to Heavenly Father, asking him for help. Now, no sooner had the amen been said, now get this, a series of numbers came into Jed's mind. He stepped up to the door, punched in those numbers on the five-button, ten-digit keypad, and tried the door. And what would you think happened? <laughs> the door opened. Now, if we expect the blatant, the obvious, and the spectacular in the answer to our prayers, we likely will not receive. We will likely not be attuned to that quiet, still, small voice that stirs thoughts in our minds and puts feelings on our hearts. So subtle are these thoughts that we often pass them right by, thinking that they were just from us, from within our own minds and not from God. But if we will learn, to hear him, to look inward and listen to the thoughts in our minds and the feelings in our hearts, a whole new world will open up to us. It's called the spirit of revelation. This next story I shared with you some months ago. I repeat it again now as a way of introducing the story that will come right after. And again, I don't know if he's watching, but Blaine Taylor, thank you for sharing this story. One day in 1974, Brother Blaine Taylor came home from work in the oil fields of Iran and received a phone call from his Muslim friend, Masood Akbari, informing him that Masood's 18-month-old daughter had been sent home from the hospital to die. 
She was suffering from amoebic dysentery, and the doctors had given up on her. Blaine felt an overwhelming desire to give little Fiona a blessing. Masood told him that she was in a coma and had lost half her body weight to the illness. Could Fiona receive a blessing? Or was that a privilege just for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Blaine assured him that the priesthood of Jesus Christ was meant for the benefit of all mankind. Blaine collected Brother Curfew, another priesthood holder, and went to Masood's home. A crowd of many people were gathered to conduct little Fiona across the veil of death. Upon seeing Fiona, Blaine picked her up in his arms. Brother Curfew anointed her. Blaine described what happened next. Quote, I was then going to seal the anointing when a heavenly being appeared and put his left hand on my right shoulder and whispered into my right ear. He told me to bless this baby with health and strength and because he was a messenger from heaven that I didn't need to seal the anointing and leave it in God's hands. I should seal the priesthood blessing on her little head. I was given further instructions, which I followed explicitly. End of quote. At the close of the blessing, Blaine turned to Masood and told them that they were going back to the hospital. With the babe in his arms, Blaine walked into the hospital, and as he said it, Quote, bold as brass, addressed myself to the receptionist, asking for the chief of staff of the hospital and further that it should be without delay. This doctor came right out. I gave him the instructions I had previously been given about an IV and exactly what should be in it. He almost saluted me, but quickly turned on his heel and commanded a gurney be brought forward. All this was done in front of many hospital staff and patients, and I think it was quite a scene. I didn't care about anything except following my instructions from a heavenly messenger. When the gurney came with the prescribed IV hanging on it, the doctor asked me if I should insert the needle and begin the procedure. I realized then what the impression was, and I simply said for him to do it. I spoke Farsi, the local language, quite fluently, and I switched to that language. I had previously been speaking English because that is how I was addressed in my instructions. Fiona and the family were taken to a room in the emergency ward, and we waited and prayed for her to show signs of life. In about one hour, Fiona began to move around a little, and in another hour, she regained consciousness to everyone's relief, and to the utter surprise of the hospital staff, I was not surprised. I'd been given a task by a messenger for my Heavenly Father and had done what I was instructed. What else should have been the outcome? End of quote. Blaine concludes, I learned from this experience that God will move you halfway around the world to touch one person's life, but that you must be willing. To be willing, you must have faith to overcome the natural fear which besets all of us. Faith and fear, he said, are incompatible, end quote. When I shared that story on the air, I was able to hear from Fiona. She responded. She interacted with some of those who had listened. And that 
All of that led to this next story, which I have not shared, but I share it with permission. It's titled, The Cancer Had Disappeared. In 1991, Arno Krusman, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Arno, or not, but I'm coming as close as I know how. Arno Krusman was a student in college in the Netherlands. One day, he noticed a lump on his left testicle. Doctors soon confirmed it was cancer, and he underwent surgery that he described as not a complex surgery, but it was an emotional one. Then six months later, it was discovered that that cancer had spread to the lymph nodes in his abdomen. He was placed on a new and experimental chemotherapy regimen. Arno described the treatment as brutal. He was violently ill. His hair fell out and his weight dropped to about 160 pounds, which doesn't sound like much, but for a man who is six foot seven, that's quite thin. Yet somehow, Arno kept going. Then he received terrible news. The doctors informed me, he said, that the prognosis was not good. The first series, meaning chemotherapy, caused the tumor to shrink, but the second and third treatment had very little effect. They informed me that they wanted to finish the treatment by giving me the final dose and then schedule surgery to remove the cancer. Then after the surgery, another series of chemo would follow. When I heard that, Arno said, my heart really sank deep in despair. End of quote. Arno then describes what followed. My dad had a great friend by the name of Masoud Akbari. He was from Iran and had fled Iran in the 1970s when the regime changed. They had become good friends over the years. Masoud lived in the Netherlands, and he said our families would visit together often. My dad also went hunting one time in the United States with Masoud and had some great stories to tell about that trip. On that trip, he met a man by the name of Blaine Taylor who was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Masood told my dad about a miracle that happened to his youngest daughter, Fiona, that at an age of 18 months, she was miraculously healed through a priesthood blessing administered by Blaine Taylor. Arno said, My dad was so bold to call Blaine and ask him to come over to the Netherlands to give his son a blessing. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, Blaine described that phone call and how Arno's dad came right to the point. Blaine, Masood Akbari, has told me I should call you. He then informed me that his son Arno, this is Blaine talking, had been stricken with cancer and that when he was speaking of this with Masood and Willie, that they had recommended that he call me. He then further informed me that he would like me to travel to the Netherlands and give a blessing. Further, he had purchased a ticket for me, which I could collect at the airport in Houston, Texas, to use to effect the voyage. End of quote. <laughs> I love this. Well, as it turned out, Blaine was already scheduled to leave for Europe, which he didn't do that often, 
the very next day. He already had a ticket through his work, and he told him he would meet on Saturday. Neither Arnold nor his family were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They were, as Arno described it to me, of different Christian faiths, but not all that active in any church. Well, Blaine arrived that Saturday and visited with Arno. The next day, everyone went to church. Now, to this point, no one had really told Arno what was going on and what was going to happen. As they went out the door to go to church, Arno says, have a great time. And they turned and said, no, wait a minute, you're coming with us. Well, so imagine his bewilderment goes to church. After the meeting is over, everyone went into the bishop's office and found it packed with people. Arno's family was there. Masood was there. And four missionaries were in the bishop's office. Arno told what happened next. I love this. Quote, Bishop Odins anointed my head, and Blaine sealed and confirmed the blessing. My English, Arnold said, has improved over the years, but I do recall having a decent command of the language and understanding the words Blaine spoke. The reason I mention it is because I cannot recollect any words that Blaine said other than that my cancer would be taken away by the hands of a surgeon. Even to this date, those are the only words I remember. I do, however, remember that I felt warmth and love, and this I learned was the Spirit of God, and it washed over me with some familiarity. When Blaine finished, I saw that everyone in the room was emotional, and I felt deep gratitude. Hugs and words of affirmation followed, and I was simply a little overwhelmed. What just happened, I thought, and what am I to make of it all? I almost felt like a bystander, yet I was the focus of the ordinance and people's present. End of quote. When the days that followed, Arno received the fourth round of chemo, and it took its toll. He was weak. So weak, in fact, that the doctors were concerned. Could he stand the surgery? They scheduled him for the surgery to remove the afflicted lymph nodes. And then three days before the surgery, Arno went in for a battery of tests to determine the progress of the cancer and his ability to withstand the surgery. After all the tests, he walked into the doctor's office with his mother and sat down, he said, feeling in a bleak and somber mood. The doctor came in and then announced, just like that, the cancer had disappeared. And Arnor said, I was in full remission. He goes on to say, since it wasn't my regular doctor, I immediately started to question him. I asked him if he had the right person and how it was possible. He assured me, assured me that it was me and then showed the x-rays of the before and after. He pointed out the cancer, and the new x-ray showed none. Harno said, I sat there with a blank stare on my face, not sure if I should jump for joy as I was letting that news sink in. 
I was shocked. It came as a complete surprise, to say the least. I remained in a state of obliviousness, simply not understanding it. My cancer had just vanished. My mind was racing to find answers on how it happened, but my heart was calm as it knew. I felt the heavens were smiling on me, and I was given a gift beyond the veil. To this day, he said, I feel nothing but gratitude for that moment. End of quote. Oh, there's way more to the story. But in the months and years that followed, Arno never lost that precious feeling of gratitude. He joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the age of 22. And then, miraculously, served as a missionary in England. Now, today, he is diligently involved, and I don't use those words lightly, diligently involved in family history work, and has brought some 3,500 members of his family their temple blessings. His personal database of family names now numbers roughly 15,000. And incidentally, when Brother Taylor pronounced that blessing, Arno later learned, he also boldly called Arno to serve a mission. And that, in order for that to happen, Arno would have to be made well. That came to pass. Blaine also, under the authority of heaven, promised Arnold that he would marry in the temple and would have children. And in time, all of his family would be blessed through his complete acceptance of the gospel. End of quote. Now, I find that most interesting. Because the doctors had promised, promised Arno that the chemotherapy would render him permanently sterile and unable to have children. Today, Arno and his sweetheart are the parents of three children. As Arno happily put it, the blessing did not just take away my cancer. It also took away the effects of the chemotherapy. End quote. Arno. Thank you. I want it to be understood, lest anyone see this wrong. And I believe Blaine would be the first one to tell you. The power of these miracles is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his priesthood. Not in Blaine and not in Arno. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.